Back home again in dear old Elmhurst. And it seems that I can see the gleaming French porch lights still burning bright through the seven wards of trees. The backyard skunks send all their fragrance through the streets I used to roam. When I dream about the moonlight on her salt creek, how I long for my great big Elmer's home. Golly! And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, P.K., and Rick. Welcome to another edition of the E-Town Lowdown. This is the first installment we've done post-COVID. It is so good to be back in the hot tub. With my good friends PK and Scotty Malord. How are you guys? Hey friends, I'm well. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well. So we have a really important famous guest tonight i mean this guy is so famous elmhurst famous he is so famous beyond elmhurst the prestigious vulture.com listed him as the 43rd most important celebrity in the last dance ahead of bill clinton clinton president bill clinton who else justin timberlake i mean this guy he's got all kinds of talent our our guest today is the Senior Director of Premium Seats with the Chicago Bulls, Mr. Joe O'Neill. How are you, Joe? Doing great. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me here today, guys. Joe, do you realize how important you are? Did you check those statistics on the last dance? Uh, you know, I had to clean out the garage this morning. I had to take the garbage <laughs> out. I had to fold laundry. Yeah, I feel pretty important. You didn't put your pants on one leg at a time, did you? Yes, I did. Wow. He's a good south side guy. Speaking of Southside, guys, tell us a little bit about where you grew up. I grew up on, uh, everybody goes by the parish, St. Thomas More, uh, 79th Street uh, in Chicago, and uh, lived there for my grade school years. We moved downstate for a little bit, out east, but then I came back, and I've, you know, I've pretty much been in Chicago uh, for my entire life, except for one year. Downstate like Crete Monee, or... Uh, really, Kankakee, Illinois. Oh, okay. That's right. So you ended up, uh, you finished college somewhere like uh, northern Illinois, I believe, right? Right, yeah. And, and then uh, started looking for a job. Is that how it goes? That's exactly how it went. Did you have a job in high school? Uh, yeah, I've been working my whole life. I uh, started uh, I started selling newspapers when I was young. I had a... Uh, like a route or on the corner? I had a paper route, but I uh, I also, I, I, I delivered the Chicago Daily News. And they, uh, when I uh, was delivering, they came up with a contest, contest for paper boys to sell new subscriptions. And I, uh, I, I got good at it. And I uh, won trips. They said that the first the first contest, the top thirty carriers in the state were going to get a trip to Montreal, Canada. Wow! And I 
So you did went? It, did you, you won? I won that trip. When did you go to Montreal? How old were you? I was in uh, seventh grade. Did really? you speak French? I did not. I can, I can still remember my spiel to this day. I'd knock on the door. Hello, I'm Joe O'Neill, and I'm trying to win a trip to Montreal, Canada, and you can help me achieve my goal by buying a subscription to the Chicago Daily News. Really? After they'd slam the door in my face, <laughs> I'd walk next door, bang, bang, hello, I'm Joe O'Neill. And uh, and I got good at it. You so, know? You, so you'd but, hit like uh, two out of ten or something? and then It was more, it was less <laughs> than that, so you had to knock on a lot of doors. Wow. So did you have to go clear out to like Moments and Piatone? Uh, we would Wilmington? go out, to, hey, if you can't sing a tune, Piatone, that's what exactly. we always said. <laughs> I like this guy. Um I, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, you know, older women would like me. I would kind of schmooze them a bit. They'd say, I'd like to help you, Joe, but I can't afford to buy the paper. And I'd pull out the food section. I said, look at the, look at the coupons, the milk, the butter, the bread. You know, I said, you cannot afford not to buy this newspaper. Oh, Joe, you're so cute. I guess I'll buy a subscription. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> then the next year, they had a better trip. But I, I went to Montreal. I saw the Cubs play the Expos at Jerry Park. Wait, who'd wow. you go with? I mean, 30, 30 kids and uh, chaperones. A bunch of older women. <laughs> no, no. But then the next trip, they had, the next fall, they had a contest to go to uh, Miami and a three-day cruise to the Bahamas. Jeez. And, uh, and I, got, I got very good at doing this. I was like top five in the state. And I remember saying to my, uh, my being on the playground and calling my kids all buddies all over, I said, Hey guys, it was December of eighth grade. I said, I just want to let you know, I won't be around next week. I got a business trip to the Bahamas. (laughs) (laughs) They just might've been jealous, Joe. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So, uh, that was kind of my, my first job. So you have a job now in the sporting world. Were you an athlete? Uh, I was a runner, so that was sprinter the, or long distance, long distance cross country, competitively or just from the police. Uh, both. Good. <laughs> That's how you learn your trade, right? Right. <laughs> we know a little bit about cross country here in Elmhurst, don't we, guys? Yeah, yeah just I, a bit. I wouldn't have made the York team, I don't think. So everybody makes the York team. <laughs> so how old were you when you went and knocked on the door at the uh, Bulls front office so to speak I was uh, alright I'll tell you this story but it takes a little bit alright we have all the time in the world because we, we okay. can always edit okay and we're not going to though since you asked me you're going to have to hear the whole thing it was December of my senior year in college and uh, I decided to go downtown to apply for a job at the Bears and the Bulls because I, I had been working in, in, for the Chicago Sun-Times newspaper on and off during school and uh, thought maybe I'd want to work in sports. So I went down to the office and I had a resume made up. My career objective was to work for the Chicago Bulls. And I went into the office and they, uh, I said, hey, I'd like to talk to somebody about employment. I'm going to be graduating from college in May and I'd like to work here. And the girl says, the woman says, I'm sorry, there's, there's no one to talk to. And I said, well, ma'am, I, 
I came all the way down here. I, I got a suit on. I took the train downtown. I have a resume made up. I, I, I need to talk to somebody, you know. And she proceeds to tell me that there are nine people that work in the office. They didn't have a personnel department. And there were no jobs. And there was no one to talk to. And I don't know kind of what came over me here, but there was two chairs in this little shit lobby. And uh, I said, ma'am, I'm going to sit in this chair until somebody speaks to me. And I sat. Wow. And I sat. Gumption. I could hear him talking about me around the corner. He's a weirdo. He won't <laughs> leave. <laughs> and uh, finally a guy comes out. He goes, I'll talk to you. And I went in and spent the next 20 minutes telling that him I was the greatest thing since sliced bread and the best thing the Bulls could do for their future was to hire me. And uh, he, uh, he liked me. Yeah. He, uh, he asked me if I would work in the ticket office someday, and I said I'd be happy to. And it's, it's kind of a long story, but it's uh, – Sounds like that's you, how I initially got in with the Bulls. Sounds like you learned something selling those newspaper subscriptions. I've uh, I've used many. Uh, I have a motivational speech I give that it's about opening doors and and that, and I've used many unique methods and things over my career to open doors and find jobs and. Uh, and and then the bull story is one of them, and it's it it gets even deeper and deeper than that. Nice. So when they first agreed to hire you, they they asked you to work in the ticket office. What did you do? Uh, they hired me as the ticket manager. Uh, they got rid of the ticket manager they had, but he stayed on for a couple months to train me, and uh, and I was the only person in the ticket department. It was pretty bizarre something like this would never happen in today's world but they fired their ticket manager and hired me out of college to take his place and what, I, what year was this 1979 and who who would work the will call windows uh the union guys at the old stadium and there were only nine people total when you first interviewed nine people we had a general manager we had a finance guy and an accountant we had a marketing, a PR, a ticket, and three secretaries. It was the ownership of the Bulls similar to what it is now? Some of the present owners were owners then, but it was primarily controlled by Arthur Wirtz. Uh, but some of the, uh, there was a group of about seven or eight of them that owned it. George Steinbrenner was one of them. And some of those partners are still partners with the Bulls now. So how was the team in terms of performance when you started in 1979? And what was the attendance like? I think my first year we averaged around 12,000. Uh, I got hired within a week or so of Jerry Sloan being hired as our coach. And uh, we didn't make the playoffs the first year. We made it the second year. And uh, then uh, we kind of hit a downward spiral for a few years where you know bad decisions were made and uh, – but uh, 1984, things started to turn around for us. So 12,000 people, how many did the old Chicago Stadium hold? Uh, just under 19,000. And the new uh, United Center? 
depending upon, you know, if we fill up every suite and everything, you know, we can put over 23,000. So it's quite a bit larger then. Yeah. There were no suites in the old building. That's the biggest part of it. And uh, good, good, a uh, lot of standing room there too, right? Up way up high. A uh, thousand, generally, you know, we used to sell up to a thousand standing room. Wow. And old. So, Joe, 1979 is is what you said, right? Yes. So that's a pretty significant year in the history of the NBA and here in Chicago because the number one overall pick of the 79 draft was Magic Johnson, right? Right. And the Bulls picked David Greenwood. With the two pick. Right. Right. And number, does number it. two? Who? Exactly. Yeah. Do, does that not. Uh, don't you find that interesting that how different things could have been had that coin flip gone a different way and you ended up with Magic Johnson? Uh, yeah, because I think if they won the coin flip, they wouldn't have fired the ticket manager and hired me. Amazing. <laughs> so so I, I think they got a little magic anyway, you know. <laughs> just for uh, trivia purposes, do you happen to know who the number three pick in that draft was? Well, obviously, it wasn't Larry Bird, obviously. No, Bill Cartwright. Really? really? From San Francisco. Wow. Wow. Go figure. So you mentioned 1984. That was really a big deal. So how long did it take after that draft for things to change? The atmosphere? Wait, to clarify, that's when Jordan got drafted. Right. Which 99 Who's that? Who? Okay, so anyway, so yeah, so when did things start to change? You know, not, I mean, there was a real buzz when Michael came to town and, uh, you know, he put on some performances just the first month as a pro that just, you know, had people in the know really amazed, you know, and um, it didn't translate into huge ticket sales for us right off the bat, you know, we... You know, had a ways to ways to go, and then, um, but you know, we made the playoffs, and uh, you know, every year we would add another piece. We would get smarter, get more mature, and so I know you weren't on the basketball operations side per se, but. Your your gut feel when when Jordan was was drafted, you know, I know Akeem Olajuwon went first that year, Sam Bowie second, Sam Perkins fourth. Were most of the folks that were on the inside really happy with that pick of Jordan? Was they, we we used to do the draft in public those days, so we had a ballroom at the Chicago Marriott at five forty North Michigan, and all the brass would be up there and we press would be there and it was open to the public and we would bring our vips and you know sometimes they'd draft somebody you didn't want the fans would be hooping out you know and i remember hearing elijah Wan's name taken first and i remember going out of the ballroom sitting on the couch in the lobby of the marriott and just kind of putting my head down like i was praying and I heard Sam Bowie, and I said, "Thank God, we've got him." And <laughs> you know, Sam. I mean, no, but you know, nobody never knew what was going to be to come. I mean, you know, right. but uh, but I, I mean, I knew I was so into us trying to get Michael Jordan. So, so you really were excited that that was yeah. that was the pick. You you kind of had a feeling, mm-hmm. and that was the general consensus. 
Yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, because Portland had Clyde Drexler, you know, so they had a person for that, you know, wing position or whatever, and they wanted a center, and in those days everybody thought you had to have a big center to, a dominant center to, you know, to win, and uh, so fortunately for us, they, they made that call, and, you know. So at that point in time, were you still the only employee in the ticket office? No, I had convinced them to hire, to let me hire a couple, like, commission salespeople. Uh, so I had a couple couple guys working for me. Matter of fact, in those days, we were so small. I think it was the year before that they needed somebody to go to New York to do the draft for the team. And so I went to New York and went to the Hilton there, and I was, you know, and drafted Ronnie Lester. <laughs> wow. This kid that worked for me, Keith Brown, he, he was my assistant. We sent him to New York and he drafted Jordan. You know, and he, you know I mean, his face is, you know, uh, you know, wow. on the, uh, you know, that's so it's actually a lot of responsibility when you think about it. You know what? In the early days, you know, we would have a draft choice coming into town. David Greenwood. The draft choice in 1979, right. when he came to town with his attorney, Sam, whatever the hell, from UCLA, I went and picked him up at the airport. The new ticket guy in an old, you know, 74 Montego went and picked up the Bulls draft choice at O'Hare. What color was it? Gold. <laughs> Gold was yeah, Mercury Montego. Yeah. The, the Montego or we the draft it. pick? Chick, chicks liked it. <laughs> it worked, right? So, how is at that time? How stable was the job in the Bulls front office? Pretty stable. Uh, I mean, outside of basketball operations, uh, there was a big change that came a year later. Was Jerry Reinsdorf's group bought the Bulls? So nobody really felt stable at that point. He owned the White Sox, and uh, so. But everything worked out, and uh, you know, we Jerry gave us a shot to you know keep our jobs, didn't keep everybody. But what was the biggest change when Jerry's group came in? Uh, they modernized us, you know, we went from having nine people, or you know, maybe it was, it was a few more by then, uh, to you know, we went in bigger offices, we hired. You know, more management, you know, we didn't, you know, you know, instead of me being running the ticket department, now we had a, you know, a sales director. And then we had, you know, you had an assistant and we hired a sales staff and, you know, the the marketing department now had some salespeople. And, you know, we opened, we started one of the first community relations departments in, in sports. And uh, so that was the, you know, it was being taken out of the 1960s into the 1980s in a lot of ways. So there was a big difference when the new regime came in. So mm -hmm. sounds like for the better. Let's take a quick break here on the lowdown. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Pamela Dunley. As president and CEO of Elmhurst Hospital, I know that sometimes laughter can be the best medicine. When I need a good laugh, I tune into the E-Town Lowdown. And you should too. Give it a try. How are you? And welcome to the inaugural edition of Fridays with Fauci. 
where we believe it's Friday somewhere. I am your host, Spencer Alexander Lagerfeld, the pride of the Upper East Side and really all of Manhattan. Each episode of this program will feature the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease and special advisor to the President of the United States, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Today, Dr. Fauci and his team have some important new COVID research to share with us. Only an esteemed journalist like myself could be trusted to handle an interview with such an esteemed guest. Welcome to your first Fridays with Fauci. Dr. Yeah, it's Fauci. Uh, it's a Farchi. Uh, pardon moi? Farchi, not Fauci. Farchi, I'm not that other guy. His research has completely ignored the importance of farticles in novel coronavirus infection and transmission. Farticles. Farticles uh, as in uh, flatulence? Yep or do. Microscopic particles expelled via the digestive tract of Homo sapiens. This is so incredibly bourgeois. So, if you're really Dr. Fartchi and not Dr. Fauci, what is your medical speciality? With your fascination on rectal expulsions, you clearly must have gone to school in the Boston area, no? I hold doctorates in both tweezing and waxing from the Nockenbegin School of Beauty in Denmark. So, you don't have a medical degree? Well, not technically, but I've watched every episode of General Hospital ever made. That's more than 14,000 episodes. How many people can say that? Even my bubby hasn't seen that many episodes. I've seen more scene-ending blank stares than the lighting director on season 8 of The Real Housewives of Tel Aviv. If that's not deserving of a medical degree, I don't know what is. I'm not sure that qualifies you as a medical doctor, but I will say your Danish education is intriguing. I have read that they're doing cutting-edge medical research in Copenhagen. Copenhagen? Danish education? You said you studied in Denmark. Denmark, Wisconsin. You know, just south of Titletown, up north of Manitowoc. My Uncle Sal had a joint there. Sal's Deli and Supper Club. I grew up helping Sal make pickles every summer. My brother and I, we'd sneak gulps to Manischewitz from behind the bar when nobody was looking. Those were the days. Okay. Well, it's with great hesitance that I tell our listeners that I understand you have some new important research you're willing to share with our listeners regarding the coronavirus. Please enlighten us, Dr. Farchi. Well, I've done extensive research on the effectiveness of masks, and I'm here to tell you, mask effectiveness is questionable, at best. This is preposterous. Dr. Farchi, every medical expert in the country has stressed masks do provide at least some degree of protection from the spread of coronavirus. Are you saying your research disagrees with the overwhelming majority of healthcare professionals? You betcha. You're going to have to explain. Boxers or briefs? I beg your pardon, sir? Do you wear boxers or briefs? Briefs? The finest from the Ralph Lauren collection, but what does that have to do with masks and the coronavirus? Oy vey, you need to stay with me, buddy. I'm getting there. 100% cotton or poly blend. What? Your skivvies, your skivvies, what are they made of? Cotton or poly blend? 
I don't know. I think they're probably a polyester blend. Okay, so tell me, you have some of your favorite line in Kugel Honey White Spear with your chumps. A bit cloudy, you know. That's the yeast in there, you know. Unfiltered nectar of the gods. Those little buggers, they feast on bits of the rutilock you just ate, and boom, gas. Lots of it. You're there on your bar stool, and here it comes. Pow! You float an air biscuit. It's just your buddies, so you let it fly freely. Can you smell it or not? This conversation is making me very uncomfortable. I truly hope none of the other members of the esteemed Metropolitan Club hear this interview. Cripes, come on. This is science. Can you smell it or not? Yes, yes, I admit it. I can smell it. Well, most of the time. But I don't understand where you're going with this. Look, that fanny frog you let out was full of good stuff that gives it that distinctive smell. Just like a good Limburger. It's a combination of hydrogen, carbon dioxide, methane, hydrogen sulfide, and ammonia. Now, your uh, brand, if you will, might have a different combination of these things than, say, uh, Rosie O'Donnell's. But nonetheless, these little buggers have traveled through your gut and out your back door, through your tidy whities and right up to your schnoz. Your polyblend briefs did little to stop those critters from ending up in your lungs. Voila, case closed. Okay, Dr. Farchi, but please, sir, what? Does flatulence have to do with masks and coronavirus? Just listen up. The novel coronavirus is no bigger than those little particles, right? Let's agree you can't see any of the little buggers. So for all practical purposes, they are pretty much the same size. That's just science. Corona particle, colon particle, potato, potato. In this case, the underwear represents a mask and the blowhole represents your mouth. It's exactly the same. Again, this is science, pure and simple. The mass cannot stop these particles. Okay. I see where you're going with this, and I question some of your assumptions, but I'll play along. What other undergarment materials? Cotton, for instance? Does cotton underwear stop these particles, as you call them? Well, let me tell you, my crack research team, that's what I call them, my crack team, get it? Well, they have conducted numerous studies using different accelerants such as beans, broccoli, get this, even Schlitz malt liquor. There are control groups we call the command group. It's short for commando. We have the other groups where all different types of undergarments, different shapes, granny panties, thongs, you get the picture. Different materials, cotton, silk, lycra, doesn't matter. They all have the same results. These little particles pass through them all. Well, unless we use rubber, but the rubber eventually stretches and kaboom, explosion. You get the picture. Again, this is science. You can't argue with science. My conclusion, commando is truly dando. This has been Spencer Alexander Lagerfeld with the first confusing and extremely troubling edition of Fridays with Fauci, uh, Fartchi, with our guest, Dr. Anthony Fartchi. Thank you, I think, Dr. Farchi. The opinions heard in this program are not to be construed as the opinions of the lowdown or its personalities. This installment has been brought to you by the good folks at the Ashwabagon Bagels and Liquor at 6463 North Fuzzy Thurston Way in Ashwabagon and 174 North Halstein Trail in De Pere. Thank you and good night. This is Erin Jason, Business Development Coordinator for the City of Elmhurst. Now more than ever, we're asking the community of Elmhurst 
to please fill out your US 2020 census. It's quick, safe, and easy, and you can do it online at my2020census.gov. Thank you. We're back on the E-Town Lowdown with my personal favorite segment, the E-Town Lowdown Mowdown, where we mow down our special guest to their very core. And today's special guest, Joe O'Neill, is ready to take on the mowdown. So first question, paperback or hardcover? Hardcover. Spring or fall? Fall. Okay. Restaurant or home cooking? Restaurant. Kukoc or the worm? Worm. Slam dunk or three-pointer? Three-pointer. Ping pong or billiards? Uh, billiards. Air conditioning or windows open? Windows open. Rod Thorne or Jerry Krause? Jerry Krause. <laughs> Company man. Wisconsin or Michigan? Wisconsin. Mary Ann or Ginger? Mary Ann. Good man. Wrong answer. <laughs> you want to try again? Wrong. Big city or country? Big city. When Harry met Sally or Dirty Harry? Dirty Harry. Clubhouse level or penthouse level? Clubhouse. Artist Gilmore or Bill Cartwright? Bill Cartwright. Popcorn or ice cream? Ice cream. Appetizers or hors d'oeuvres? Appetizers. Batman or Superman? Batman. Morning or evening? Evening. Best bar in Chicago? O'Neill's on Wells. <laughs> Amen, brother. Uh, Cubs or Sox? Cubs. Oh, did you just say that? Wow. I didn't South expect Sider. that. Oh. Wow. That, that hurts me. Holy cow. Is that because it's a moneymaker? Who, who owns the White Sox, <laughs> the majority owner? Never mind. We'll skip I it. Ran, I ran into Jerry Reinsdorf in Cleveland a couple of years ago. I was there to see the Cubs uh, play. I'm sorry. I was in Boston. I went to see Fenway for the first time. The Cubs were playing the Red Sox. I'm walking down the street. The next day, the next day in Boston, and I see Jerry Reinsdorf, who was there visiting his college daughter, and I said, "Hey, Jerry," and he came over and talked. I was forgetting that I had a Cub shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. Wow, <laughs> pay cut. It was, I texted him right away. I said, "Maybe I should go back and work on my resume." He texts me back. He goes, you will not get a good recommendation from your former employer. <laughs> That's great. I, I texted him back. It's my wife's fault. She bought it. I'm getting divorced. He said, text me back. That's worse than the dog ate my homework. <laughs> we just learned something. Jerry Reinstorf has a very good sense of he humor. He does. He does. Wow. When he bought the, you know, when he bought the bulls, you know, he was going to get rid of most of us, you know. Yeah. And I asked for a meeting with him. My wife had worked for the Bulls. That's where we met. But she had left the Bulls, and she was now working for the Cubs. And he said to me at one point in the interview, he goes, tell me about your wife. And I said, she works for the hub. <laughs> he goes, what'd she do? I go, she works for the He goes, where does she work? I go, she works for the Cubs. He said, I hate the Cubs. I said, I hate my wife. 
<laughs> we slapped high five. And we've been together since. We're going to get to the bottom of what kind of Chicagoan you are. Is it Roosevelt or Roosevelt? Roosevelt. Okay, here's a loaded question. Jennifer Aniston or Jennifer Beals? Jennifer Beals. There's oh. a story there. Yes. Uh, tile or hard, hardwood? I always like hardwood. Amen. What shoe do you put on first, left or right? Put on my left shoe first. Chuck Daly or Chuck Schwersky? I'll take Daly. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's not an answer I expected. Uh, drive or fly? Uh, fly. The beach or the mountains? Beach. JMO or Guinness? JMO. StubHub or Ticketmaster? Ticketmaster. Hmm. Interesting. Magnum PI or Sam Malone? Uh, Sam Malone. Beatles or Stones? Uh, Stones. Chicago Stadium or the United Center? Stadium. (laughs) Nice. Yes or no, should men wear sandals? Yes. Behind or across from the Bulls bench? Uh... Behind. Courtney Love or Bob Love? Butterbean. He's awesome. He's a good dude. I got a, was. I, I got a real hard hitter here. Grilled cheese or peanut butter and jelly? Grilled cheese. Favorite pizza place in Elmhurst? Armand's. I like it. Pick a book. Bad as I want to be or for the love of the game? Bad as I want to be. Mm. Interesting. Carmen Electra or Madonna? Carmen Electra. <laughs> Collins or Jackson? Jackson. Kettle One Club or the Chicago Stadium Club? Kettle One Club. Italian beef or hot dog? Beef. Jerseys red, white, or black? Red. Uh, Makita? Or hull? Hull. Corned beef or shepherd's pie? Corned beef. And the last three questions, starting with this one. Your favorite movie? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. James Brown or James Taylor? James Taylor. Red licorice or red cur? Red cur, my (laughs) man. And on that note, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. So, you know what's like probably one of my favorite things right now? So, I have like a 20 minute drive home from work every day, and I'm driving home my Jeep SRT8, and the weather's good, and I got the windows open. And I listen to the E Town all the way home, and it just like makes the trip go so quick. So, the E Town lowdown, I think, is really a great thing. You guys got to keep it up and keep it going. People are interested. Bet my money on a Bobtail nag. The staff and management of the E-Town Lowdown would like to assure our more sensitive listeners that our food critic Sal is really half Italian. His mother is from Poland and his father is from the great country of Italy. We hope you will enjoy and not be offended. Hey, how you all doing? Slappy Sal here for the Lowdown with yet another food review. This time old Sal here has a tip for you. You old timers out there may remember Larry Lujak on the radio. He used to say, hey, here's a tip from your Uncle Lair. It's kind of like the same thing, except it's a tip from your Uncle Sal. Three words. Blue, plate, special. That's right. 
Blue Plate Special. The only place in E-Town you can get a Blue Plate Special is the American Legion on Butterfield and Spring Road. They're open for lunch from 11 to 2, and there's a Blue Plate Special every day, Monday through Friday. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? You can eat it right in their Cafe 187 or get a carryout either way. Best part, Blue Plate Special, $8.50 every day. Can't beat it. I'm talking about stuff like smothered pork chops with rice and veggies, shepherd's pie, baked chicken with stuffing and gravy, and of course, fish on Friday every week. That's right, fish and chips. And their cod is an awesome cod. You know what I mean? You can always get a cup of soup with your Blue Plate Special too, no extra charge. Think about it, good quality stick-to-the-ribs lunch for $8.50, and you're helping our local military veterans in the process. I mean, why wouldn't you go there? Good food, good price, great cause. Back in the old country, Sal's grandma used to call it the Piatto Blue Speciale, but you can call it whatever you want. It's just a good, solid meal. This has been Slappy Sal for the E-Town Lowdown, reminding you to support our veterans by eating at Cafe 187 at the American Legion. And remember what Ronald Reagan said, you can tell a lot about a fellow's character by his way of eating jelly beans. This is Mary Beth Harper, director of the Elmhurst Public Library, and you're listening to the E-Town Lowdown with your hosts, Robbie and Rick, but PK is the one with all the talent. So we're back on the lowdown with our special guest, Joe O'Neill. And Joe, I have an interesting question for you. You know, attendance. We always hear, you know, X number of people or there are 14,123. So how do they determine actual attendance? Well, it's the, the amount of tickets that are distributed in the suites, and in, in the seating bowl. So, Joe, over the course of the years you've been with the Bulls, are there any particular favorite executives that you have, people that you've worked with in the front office that were your favorites? Well, you had mentioned Rod Thorne before. He was the first general manager that I, I worked for, and we're still friends to this day. Uh, I, uh, a couple of my, you know, one of my closest friends is our PR. Our PR guy, Timmy Helm, has been working for us for two years longer than I have. Uh, John Paxson and I have been close for many years. A number of us, me and Timmy and Paxson, Neil Funk, our TV guy, we go on road uh, golf trips together. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've had a, a lot of respect for... You know, a lot of people that, you know, were with us, you know, from Jerry Krause to, you know, some of the folks that, uh, you know, that I work for now. How about on court? Any favorite ex-players that are uh, not other than Michael Jordan, and he may not be your favorite anyway, but any that you're really connected with? You know, my relationship with the players was really business. You know, I mean, I didn't you know, become great friends with any of our players. I mean, I, I raised my kids in Elmhurst for the most part in the, in the days, all the players lived up North. So, you know, if I had lived in Deerfield or something like that, maybe, you know, I'd be, you know, closer, you know, to them. I mean, you know, in, in the early days, you know, MJ and I would play golf together, you know, because you know, he didn't know anybody. I was one of the first people he met. So wait a second, talking about golfing with MJ, golfing with MJ, did you do a little gambling while you're golfing? Yeah, I would ask him to bet paychecks, but he would never do it. 
But uh, he, at he the would, time, he who, would generally beat me in that. I was just <laughs> that was very smart of you, though. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, you know, my all-time favorites, Pax and I, are, are, are close. Uh, Joakim Noah, just you know, the salt of the earth, you know. Uh, and he came you from know. an athletic family with Yannick. Yannick was that his father, the tennis yeah. player? Correct. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, you know, I still play golf with Scotty on a regular basis when he's in town. And Any, know, anybody, horror. anybody that you're willing to talk about that might have been a little bit demanding? Uh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure they got a lot of requests. They got a lot of family. They, you know, it's got to be a little challenging to juggle all that, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's not that challenging these days, but in yeah. the in the day, yeah, yeah, it was brutal. I mean, we would, you know, we we would we would put our tickets on sale at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning, and they would go on sale at Ticketron in the time, and. And the stadium, and people would line up around the stadium, and you know there was no internet. Yeah. You know we had hard tickets, and yeah. uh, in the day we'd put the tickets on sale at ten o'clock in the morning. By noon, the season would be sold out, and at one o'clock I was on the first tee. <laughs> it was you know it was it was good, but then every request was, you know, it had to you know filter through us and. And from the players, and you know, it, it was it was very difficult. So, in general, how much of a buffer did you need to have to fulfill all the special requests as things got busy? Because you know, if somebody important called you and needed tickets, you needed to find tickets for them, right? Well, that's why you had to, you know, play the game, and you only knew it through experience, and you knew who you were playing and when you were playing, and. And you always had to hold something back in case you made a mistake because sometimes yeah. mistakes are made and, you know, other people make mistakes. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, we had the hottest ticket on the planet for 10 years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from the players, the coaches, the sponsors, the owners, the season ticket holders, the VIPs, the celebrities – so were there some fun celebrity stories about, you know, some some special celebrity calling you up saying they or somebody's calling for them saying they need tickets or something? Yeah, well, you know, more times than not, you know, the celebrity's not going to call you. Yeah, it's going right. to be their, their, their people, people are going to yeah, call yeah, you. Yeah. Um, and actually, how do you even know if you believe them, right? Because then you would tell them to send you a fax or something on yeah. letterhead, or you know, yeah, you yeah. you know, send me something so I know who the hell you are. Because that would happen. Was it? Was there people would scam me, try to scam you all the time? Was there a celebrity that ever got you excited? Like you're like, I gotta get them tickets. They're awesome. This, this person is special. No. <laughs> 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 you know, I can envision it, PK. I, I was special. I had the tickets. <laughs> can you imagine Oprah's like, have my people call O'Neill's people? <laughs> well, it was funny because, you know, I used to help out Oprah Winfrey and her staff, you know, and they would have people in town. And uh, Oprah Winfrey ticket was a hot ticket. Sure. So, you know, people would, you know, call me for Oprah Winfrey tickets. I mean, I, you know, people would call me for any ticket on the planet, you know. So did you have a connection there at the time yeah. oh, where yeah. you could call over there and say, yeah, hey. Yeah, we had a deal with Oprah where we would. Because you do a lot of trading, right? 
Yeah, well, Oprah's tickets were free, you know. And yeah, but so, you needed to get one. So you could, right. you could get them a Bulls ticket if they get you an Oprah ticket. Right. And all that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, Joe, is it actually trickier for you to accommodate Bulls, people within the Bulls organization, or the visiting teams? Well, you, you know, your own requests are tougher because there's so many more and they're local. And that the visitors, you know, you you know, you just work out a deal with that at a time. You know, I mean, some teams don't need much. You know, other teams would come in and, and hit you heavy in that. But, you know, in the day I managed our road tickets and our home tickets and that. So I used to send, they used to call it the O'Neill letter. I would send a letter out to every team after the schedule came out. And in New York, it would be, please hold me 200 extra tickets, you know, for the uh, L.A., 200 extra tickets. Charlotte be 200 because Michael and I had so many down there. You know, Miami, maybe 100, 150, you know, Utah, 30. No, you don't need, you know, but. Indianapolis, three. Yeah, no, but Indy, Indy was close. Right, so Indy true. was. Uh, who, who was the most demanding other team? The most demanding other. It had to be the Knicks or the Lakers, right? Yeah, but, you know, we were as demanding on them as they were on us, you know, and. Players were always last minute, needing this, needing that, and you'd be, you know, begging the other ticket person at quarter to six, say, you know, I need 12 more, you know. Yeah. What was the best thing anybody ever offered you for a seat? <laughs> that you, An unusual thing that, that you can talk that you about. Can on, disclose. Yeah. Um, I've been offered everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say enough said, but I'm curious. <laughs> Uh, Anything you don't, really you don't have to you don't have to admit to ever taking it. But what were you offered that was crazy? Uh, can I tell you something about playing Augusta? Oh, really? Oh, wow. <laughs> really? You know what? There's oh, a lot cool. of attraction there. Can nice. I tell you? Can I tell you something nice. about playing Augusta? Please, please. It's a lot easier the second time. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Holy cow! Nice. We are among greatness, aren't I was, we? I was just excited to see it in person. Not, yes. Not play it. Wow. Yes, I got to uh, play Augusta a couple times. It is be- it's more beautiful than it is on TV. Yes, it is. Yes. So did you ever have an uh, instance where somebody really important or really famous, whether you liked them or not, um, needed tickets and you couldn't get it done for them? Uh, one time... Uh, one time I had not really because I would have pulled my own family out of seats if I had to to you know if, if I had to do it. Um, but there was one time Frank Thomas came to the game and he had he had told me he was going to come to a number of games and then he didn't show up for a number of games. So I just like sold the seats and he showed up at a game and I I didn't have any tickets so I had security to take him up and put him in the camera basket hanging over the first balcony of the old stadium. And, uh, wow. and then Frank didn't like it up there, so he left. He was he was a scared? I don't know. <laughs> well, he wasn't happy with Joe O'Neill. So we alluded to the last dance a little earlier, and we'll get into that a little deeper later, but um, we're billing this as the story that wasn't told on the last dance. So do you have a story, uh, Michael Jordan – 
story that you could tell us that didn't make the last dance that folks might find interesting? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would. Um, yeah, this is kind of a cool story that uh, in uh, 2011, if I'm getting my time right, Michael uh, was elected to the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame. And I always had a good relationship with Michael. A lot of times when the team needed something, they would call me and ask me to call Michael and see if he'd do something. Or And uh, about a week before the ceremony, I was part of the Bulls contingent that were was going to go to Springfield to see Michael inducted. And uh, I had to call him because we had some questions about timing and what was going on. And and uh, called him up and said, hey, need to talk to you about the Hall of Fame. And and uh, me and Tim, Tim Hallam is our PR guy. He's been one of my closest friends. He's still with us. We were the first two guys Michael met in town. We would, met him in Milwaukee during the when he was on the Olympic team, and and uh, and we called him and said, "Hey, you know, we'll see you in Springfield. You know, we you know we got to go over some things with you." And uh, he said, "He goes, you know what? I want you to fly to Springfield with me." He goes, "You and Tim." And so, uh, a couple days before. Uh, the day before his induction, we uh, we met him up in Waukegan, and it was Michael and his girlfriend and Tim and I on his jet in the North Carolina blue, hmm. and we smoked cigars and drank and just laughed and talked about, you know, what had happened since we met each other in 1985, and that's pretty the awesome. Fact that you know the fact that he. Asked me to fly on his jet to the Hall of Fame yeah. with him was yeah. and celebrate with him. Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. something that uh, it was a one way. I didn't get to fly home, but uh, <laughs> his, Joe, his, who his family, his family showed up. But uh, no, it was a real honor. And I mean, to you know, he's arguably the greatest athlete of all time, and uh, yeah. to be part of that trip was was really special. Do you think there's a little part of Michael that wishes, like for short times, he could just go under the radar and be a regular person and just go out to Silverado restaurant, for instance, and have a dinner with nobody bothering him? Yeah, absolutely there is. And uh, he used to say the only thing that he could really do, like everybody else, would be go to a movie. Because, you know, if he could get himself into the, you know, once he got into the theater, you were kind of, protected you know you might have a hard time getting in and out but you know people you know, wouldn't bother him during the movie yeah right and yeah. you know and if you work with the movie manager they're going to kind of maybe look out for you and get you in the side door too so you're not yeah. walking yeah. through and that so yeah i think um that's probably what it's going to be like for us someday after the e-town lowdown takes off Hey, if they had cell phone cameras then, we'd all still be in jail. <laughs> what do you think of Michael as an NBA owner? I think that uh, he's a better player than he was an owner. <laughs> oh. uh, you know, they've you know, they've had their struggles in Charlotte and, and you know, I I wish him the best in that, but it's a uh 
it's a tough business. Yeah. Joe, you know. do you think you could work for Michael as an owner? Sure. Yeah? Yeah. Because yeah, you hear about how demanding he was of his teammates and, and people like that. I just wonder if that transfers when you become an owner. Well, I think that, you know, we demanding excellence and, you know, but he, he, he'd be tough, yep. you know. So can you attend a home game and relax or are you always on and having to work? Well, you know, for many years I was in charge of the operations and, you know, kind of overseeing security and ticket operations and and that, and that you know, you're always kind of on edge through the first half till the box office closed, till every, you know. Uh, but if I do my job and I do it well, you know, I should be able to, to relax, you know, after the gates are, after after the balls, the after the game starts. I spend a lot of my time now, you know, in, in our courtside club before the game, halftime, you know, at, after the game, schmoozing are our biggest clients. I mean, I have clients that spend ten thousand dollars a game on their tickets, and uh, and you know it's my job to make sure they have a great experience and everything that they need to happen happens. And uh, so, you know, you've you know the Bulls have been around for. 55 years or something like that and i've been driving the bus for 41 of them so when i'm in when i'm in the building a lot of people know me they're coming at you a lot um but uh yeah i mean i i enjoy i enjoy sitting in the stands i enjoy watching the games and did you ever imagine that that some some customer would be spending ten thousand dollars to be there versus when you started you had to try and find people to buy tickets. We had gate receipts that were around 25, 30 grand. Yeah. Yeah. I got three customers that will pay that right, you know. Yeah. I'm cu- I'm curious to your opinion, Joe. I'm dying to know. The, the the one question I've been waiting all night to ask you. If the first three-peat Bulls team plays the second three-peat Bulls team in a seven-game series, who wins and how many games does it go? Never thought about that. Um, That's why I'm here with the hard-hitting questions, Joe. I think probably the second group wins in seven games. Wow. I like it. The worm was the difference. It's a lot of it. Um, and the experience, you know, that they just, you know, the centers, you know, Cartwright was probably better than Longley. Agreed. You know, you know Steve Kerr, Pax B, against BJ, and but you, have, you know, I mean, we always had, I mean, we always had good benches, and uh, but you have no comp for Kukoc, do you? In the first group, you didn't have that. Well, he wasn't in the first group. No, I'm saying you don't have a comp uh, right. to compare him to in the first group. You didn't have that six man. Like who coached the second? Now time. you know. You know what we did is we had a core, and they put a bunch of fringe—not I shouldn't say fringe players about them, but oh, role players, bench players, role players that were good guys and understood the roles, and uh, and, and it worked. So we asked you in the mow down about Carmen Electra. Did you ever have to give tickets to Carmen Electra for the worm? All the time. 
And how was he to deal with when he needed tickets? Pretty easy? Yeah, Dennis was, uh, you know, a little Erratic. a little out there. But, he, you know, he was fine. You know, he, he was fun. He was he was Dennis. Seemed like a good guy overall. He's just a yeah. little, little different. Yeah, a lot different. Yeah. No, he's dead. Dennis and we'll still see him from time to time. And uh, he's a complex guy. I think he's a very smart guy. Um, and, uh, you know, we wouldn't have won those last three without him. So in the beginning, we alluded to your fame in the last dance. And you, according to your IMDb listing, and you know you have an IMDb listing, Internet Movie Database. Are you familiar with that? I am not. You have a listing on there. Joe O'Neill has been in two episodes of The Last Dance. says you were in episodes one and five. And your IMD page, IMDb page, which all celebrities have that are in TV or movies, there's a little biography there. Well, yours doesn't have one. So the folks here at the Lowdown are offering to update your biography or suggesting that you might want to because, I mean, that, that really makes you somebody. Yeah, write that down. I'll have to look it up on that uh, intranet or whatever you call it. <laughs> <laughs> on the interweb? Yeah, that thing. So I mentioned earlier that that the uh, very prestigious Vulture.com lists you as the 43rd most important person out of 90 in The Last Dance. You were rated ahead of, you ready for this? David Stern, Ron Harper, Patrick Ewing, uh, Larry Bird, Charles Oakley, Nas the Rapper, Jerry Reinsdorf, Justin Timberlake, and President Clinton. But you were not rated as high as Danny Ainge, Bill Cartwright, Magic, of course, Charles Barkley, Carmen Electra, of all people, Isaiah Thomas, Kobe Bryant, Red Kerr, and Steve Kerr, The Worm, and President Obama. So you're somewhere in the middle, and we think if we bring up your profile on your page, maybe you'll be rated a little higher. But that's pretty impressive. I think it's fixed. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, there's another website that rates the amount of time, screen time, that people that appeared in The Last Dance had you had a minute and twelve seconds according to them, and you were fortieth out of ninety people. So you're a big celeb. Well, I had uh, a little short, you know, a couple of something in the first episode. Then in the fifth episode, I kind of had my own little segment, which uh, was, uh, you know, I I never knew if I was going to be on before this and. Uh, Interestingly, it's a it's a funny story that I was never supposed to be on the last dance. I uh, I got a call last August from the director. His name is Jason something or other. I can't you know remember his last name now. Famous guy now. Uh, and he said to me, he said, you know, I'm. Jason, I'm producing this documentary, and I said, I know who you are. I know what you're doing. I've been, I was there, and he said, uh, we're not. Uh, he goes, I'm going to be honest with you. You were never on our radar. We had no intention of talking to you. Uh, 
but I've interviewed about 20 to 25 people from Chicago, and almost everyone has said, have you talked to O'Neill yet? Have you talked to O'Neill? And he kept saying, who the fuck is O'Neill? What's, you know, and and they kept saying, well, you better talk to him. You know, he's he's got the goods. And uh, so I was, I think, the last interview done before Michael at his last one. So you had a minute and, minute and 12 seconds, according to this, on camera. How long was the interview? Uh, if you're counting makeup time, uh, <laughs> well, prob- that, that was seconds. Pro- probably an hour. Uh, you, was, you were in makeup there? Yeah, we did makeup. I was on the last dance. What do you think? Holy cow. Think they're going to let me go on there looking like this? So just to put the last dance in perspective, that averaged 5.6 million viewers per episode when it first aired. Obviously, a lot of people have seen it since then. I mean, that's a lot of viewership. If you compare that to the average Keeping Up with the Kardashians at only 1.3 million, I mean, that really, the puppy the puppy bowl, 1.9 million. Can you imagine that? Bozo, Ray, and Gar, they had like 200,000. I mean, no, I'm serious, though. 5.6 million is huge. You think about that. It was, uh, it was cool because I heard from... A lot of people that I hadn't heard from in many years, you know, people that I had worked with, you know, through the years at the networks, at the other teams, you know, people from the Knicks that we played. And, uh, and uh, you know, and, and it brought back memories of the things I had forgotten, you know, had happened. And, and honestly, I, I need to watch it again. And I still haven't watched like the last few episodes a second time. And... You got a lot thrown at you, you know, when I would watch it. And then before the next episode, I would watch it again. And, you know, I would see things that you kind of, because I was, everybody was so hyped up to watch it. And, uh, well, they bounced around a lot too. So you had to kind of keep track of what was going on. But when they interviewed Michael, he'd be sitting there with a glass of scotch or bourbon or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think they should have had a shot of you sitting there with your glass of scotch or bourbon like you are right now. Uh, this is a family show, folks. <laughs> you know, it is. maybe Michael gets away with it. You know, so tell us about the Bulls currently. What what was the attendance pre COVID on average? Uh, pre COVID, you know, they, we don't speak specific numbers, but we're probably averaging eighteen, nineteen thousand fans a game. You know, um, and uh, we'll see what's going to happen. We don't know. You know, we're, you know, the season's going to probably start January, maybe, you know, depending, you know, will right. we, will we have fans? I hope so. How many fans? It'll be a, like the bars and the restaurants, some percentage of capacity. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you, if you don't have fans, you don't need a ticket guy, you know, so I need fans. What do you think the effect of the social unrest will be on ticket sales? you think that will affect anything? I think that, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't think so. I mean, if, you know, if all hell keeps breaking, you know, if more and more things happen in the city, it will have an effect on everything that happens in the city. But I think people are itching to get back. I think people want to get back to their – our old, boring, mundane lives seem pretty darn special right now. And, right. Uh, 
you know, I think that there are certain people that are going, you know, be more apprehensive about COVID, you know, getting in a, you know, coming into the United Center and and that over the, the civil unrest. Let's be positive for a minute here, and I'm going to ask you to pull out the Joe O'Neill crystal ball. We have a draft pick coming up. The Bulls fared better in the lottery than the statistics would have said they would have. Who does Joe O'Neill think they pick in the upcoming draft? I am not the one to ask. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I am not the one to ask to be unfortunate. There are I'm, scouts around the country waiting to hear your answer. Uh, I think uh, it's not going to be somebody from Elmhurst College, I don't think, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> university. The word, you know, university. Uh, so I don't know. I really uh, I don't know. I'm excited about our new management. Uh, and uh, I think that, uh, you know, we have the second youngest roster in the league. And I'm I'm very confident that we're going to have the ship turned around quicker than people think. So that's very specific. So in general terms, what do you like most about your job? I like that I deal with people every day and dealing with unique situations every day. And, you know, I sit in the office and, you know, my phone rings all day long. And people aren't calling to say hi. You know, they need some. They'll say, they'll, they'll start out saying hi. How's your family? How's everything? And, you know, and I remember in the day when I'd be, I'd be like, hey, what game? How many? Just get to it. I was going to say, what you know you? why they're really calling. Right. Right. You know, and so people, do you ever get tired of it? Sometimes you do a little bit. I mean, you, you know, sometimes you can't believe that yep. some people would call for, you know, you know, somebody you barely know would call you for Oprah Winfrey tickets, you know. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. Can I get Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey tickets? Yes, I can. Can I get them for you? No, I can't, you know. I mean, because I'm not going <laughs> to, because I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to do that when Jerry Reinsdorf's, you know, daughter-in-law wants to, you know, wants to go to Oprah Winfrey. I'm yeah. not going to, you know, the bar is raised so high, you know. Right. You know, people would call me, can you get me tickets for the bulls in the garden? Well, no, I can't. You know, I don't have enough to go around for our, my own players and coaches, you know. And and people would call you for influence. Can you call me? Can you help me out with the Blackhawks? Can you help me out here? Can you help me out there? You know, this. So, yeah, you had a lot of friends when the bulls were doing really well, right? I uh, <laughs> Yes, and I still have a lot of friends. Well, Thank of you very much. You, they, didn't, they didn't dump me, you know. Some of them did. Well, I'm talking so friends. What, what do you want to say to those people that don't call anymore? I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> you know my phone number. Keep calling, right? That's right. So uh, talk about uh, your family. I have three sons. My wife, I met at the Bulls. Uh, we've been married for 35 years. I have three sons. They're all local. Two of them are married. Uh, we are... Looking forward to grandchildren someday. When that happens, we'll be blessed. Uh, but I'm very, you know, all three of my sons work in the same building, downtown Chicago, ironically. Really? really? Two of them are with the same company. Uh, but uh, we're close. We get to see each other a lot. And I'm, you know, just very fortunate that they're all local. You mentioned your wife worked for the Bulls, but then went to work for the Cubs. Does she work for the Cubs still? No. No, she uh, left the Cubs. John McDonough took her to the Cubs many years ago. Uh, 
because he was working for the Chicago Sting, which was in the same building as us. So we knew John. And uh, then she left the Cubs after early on when her first child was born, and she opened up a speaker's bureau. And so she represented athletes and celebrities for appearances for many years. And we still have that business to this day, but then we got in the bar business later in our lives. So we... Who's her number one speaker? Number one speaker that probably did work for her. I mean, because it was going back years. Probably John Paxson. Probably did a lot of work. For I was her. thinking it was you, Joe. No, <laughs> but I am a speaker. So you mentioned the bar. How did you get involved with that? Uh, I used to live over a bar on Ontario Street in Chicago years ago. The owner loved me. I lived there. I worked there. He always wanted me to buy it. He got sick and passed away and. I ended up finding a friend of mine to, to go in and partner, and I, you know, in 1998, after we had just won our sixth world championship, I went out on a limb and bought this bar, and uh, I bought the real estate. That's why I did it. It was right off Michigan Avenue downtown, and ran the bar for about seven or eight years and was able to get a real estate deal going, and bunch of us flipped our property to a developer and uh, worked out well and then a few years later a friend of mine owned Elcox an old board of trade bar downtown and right. Frank Martello wanted to sell it and thought that I would be right to buy it so I just uh, jumped in and bought that and I've had that for about nine years and it's been been going very well until COVID. And the so, exact address? 411 South Wells. And you also mentioned uh, speaking when you're talking about your wife and the Speakers Bureau. Mm -hmm. So you do some speaking on your own, right? Yeah, yeah I have a, uh, uh, a motivational speech that I've been given for a number of years, and uh, it's uh, been having some fun with that. As honestly, I was kind of starting to kind of kick that off a little more when the COVID hit, so that kind of put us behind a little bit. But uh, what I, inspired I doing it? Uh, just because I have a lot of good stories and they're funny and they're inspirational and people like it. I can tell you I've seen Mark Greco as a professional speaker and he just stands up at the microphone and tells stories. Your stories are way better than his. <laughs> That's some pretty good praise. Yeah. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jack Island of the Silverado Grill. My definition of a great evening is yoga, Maryland crab cakes, and the Eat Down Lowdown with Robbie, Rick, and PK. Well, yoga and crab cakes. Wow. Guests of the Lowdown will receive an Elmhurst Eat Town Lowdown coffee mug suitable for all types of beverages, courtesy of the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra. So, Joe, I know you do some charity work, and you have in the past. Tell us a little bit about that, if you would. Uh, well, I've... Uh... I started a uh, working years ago in Cambodia, uh, and uh, my friend and I uh, developed a charity where we uh, discovered all these poor children that lived in a garbage dump, and they literally lived and worked in a garbage dump, scavenging garbage 12, 14 hours a day, and uh, so... We got uh, quite interested in this. We started sending money over just to send some of the kids to school. And uh, I did a fundraiser years ago at uh, at River Forest. And uh, Dan McGrath was the sports editor of the Chicago Tribune. And he came to see it. 
and talk about what we were trying to do. And he said, I'm going to do you a favor. And he had a, Casey Johnson wrote an article about what we were trying to do. And it ran like on Christmas Eve or Christmas day. It was a kind of a real feel good story. And, uh, within six weeks, we probably had a hundred thousand dollars donated to us. Oh. And, uh, I remember going to Jerry Reinsdorf, and he knew what I was trying to do. And I said, we always said if we had the money, we'd get a house for these kids. And he gave me his blessing and time, and he helped me. And uh, so we went to Cambodia, and we built up a couple of, you know, some people call them orphanages. They're not really orphanages because a lot of, most of the kids had families and that. But we call them kid centers where we took these kids out of the garbage dump we housed them we fed them we took care of their medical we opened our own we started our own in-house school and uh, we had 100 kids at one point and uh, it was uh, it was terrific and we've uh, we changed many many lives and uh, we've got great success stories kids that live in the US to this day the first girl I ever pulled out of the garbage dump it graduated from DePaul's law school and is now a lawyer in Chicago how did you pick Cambodia? Uh, a friend of mine hmm. had found the uh, would travel to Southeast Asia. He was our photographer, Bill Smith, hmm. and uh, he was the one that found me. And is he know, the guy that takes pictures for a lot of the Chicago sports yes, teams? Yeah, and so uh, we had many, many years. I've been to Cambodia twenty six times now. Hmm. Uh, I would go in the spring and the fall. I would spend almost a month a year there. And uh, so uh, you even got your kids involved, right? Yeah, yeah. My kids have all been there, and the kids that are there are almost like cousins to them now. And and most of these kids have gone on. We don't have our own facilities anymore. We still have about twenty five kids that we're supporting, and we have apartments for them, and we handle their education and their expenses and taking care of their housing and uh it's 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 been a great great thing uh so uh, i've gone a little bit of a different direction now we have our own uh, charity now called the o'neill family foundation and uh we are continuing to support these kids in cambodia but we're also supporting we have a some refugees we have a refugee family that's living in elmhurst now from uh, swaziland people that escaped because of a violent situation over there and uh, i counsel uh, homeless folks through the cara program in chicago i'm on the uh, on the uh, auxiliary board of the cara organization c-a-r-a a fabulous organization that my cousin tom started that helps the homeless and i've so I've met some families through there that my foundation now helps out. We give some uh, scholarships to Leo High School on the south side of Chicago where my dad went. So, uh, we, uh, we really try to believe in giving back. Life has been very, very good to the O'Neill family, and uh, we enjoy it. Great stories. Do you have any hobbies? Uh, golf. How do you shoot? Index? Uh, index is 13.6. Oh, well, PK, you and I can't match that. I know that. No. <laughs> Too rich for my blood. <laughs> but that makes he must us be good playing partners. a lot. Of, he must be playing a lot of golf. That makes us a good partner in a tournament. Either that, or he's just a natural, right? 
I don't know about that, but I have been playing a lot of golf. It's it's you know you know when you work for in basketball, you know you're busier in the winter than the summer. So I still am very busy in the summer, but for the most part in in July, anything you can do on Monday, you can do on Thursday. So it's not like you're <laughs> have the deadlines. We have games, or we're going on the road, or we're doing this. And so even though COVID is around, are you still getting out in Elmhurst? Is there a favorite place you like to go in Elmhurst or anything? Uh, I like all the places downtown, to be honest with you. I've, you know, Paza, Francesca, 100 South, all of them, you know. What's your favorite pizza? Oh, you already said that, Armand's. Oh, Armand's. that's right. Yeah. In, the, in the mowdown we got them with little, that. You're right. A little, right. little, 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 little too salty, but I, you know, I try not to eat a lot of pizza. So what do you order on your pizza? What's a perfect pizza? I like the either sausage or I like the pepperoni. Never together? Sometimes on opposite sides. Really? Yeah. How do you feel about Vito and Nick's? Vito and Nick's haven't been there. Beggars? You're killing me. You know, Southside you, guy. Beggars? Oh, Vito and Nick's on, on the south side. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought you were talking to Elmer. No, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, Vito and Nick's. It's a legendary. It's a staple. Spot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Malord over there is a beggars pizza guy. Started in Blue Island. What can I say? All right. That's fair. And what's the other? Palermo's? Do you know Palermo's? Palermo's in Oklahoma on 95th. Well, they were on 79th Street before they were on 95th. So he knows. I know. Okay, so. Yeah. Palermo's is probably my favorite pizza of all time. Palermo's, a little sweet sauce, a little bit like Aurelio's. A little bit. Just a little bit. A little bit. We got to check that out. So how long do you want to keep working with the Bulls? Um, you know, I... At least a couple more years. I, you know, I have a different role now. I'm not the total operations person doing things, and you know, I'm taking care of our high end customers. And a good amount of my job now is I, I take them on road trips. So these people that are sitting in the bench seats and courtside seats, I will take them on the team plane to New York or Miami, or and uh, my job is to. Take them out and entertain them. them and schmooze them, and yeah. uh, you know, and, and that's that's a fun part of work. I mean, it's it's still a lot of work, you know. I mean, you're going with a client somewhere for like, you know, forty eight hours, and uh, you're entertaining Carmen Electra. So you think P P K and Malort? You think if we we each put a put forth a hundred dollar bill, we could maybe get a ten thousand a game. Yeah, ten thousand a game gets you a little, there. Little too rich for our blood. I'm afraid. So career wise, what would you do differently if you had to do something differently, or did it turn out perfect? Well, it turned. I mean, I essentially have until like a couple of years ago. I, I've had the same job. You know, I was the Bulls ticket guy, and. You know, it's it was wonderful. I mean, to be part of this, what happened in this city, in the city you grew up in, to be part of the greatest run maybe sports has ever seen, you know, your kids, I mean, my kids would leave school a week early in grade school every year to get on a charter with the Bulls to go to the NBA Finals. And, you know, you kind of pinch yourself that you've been able to to be part of it so you know i i wouldn't change anything i mean i you know I, I wouldn't live in the house i live in and and that if i if i didn't have 
another job. I mean, I've always had multiple jobs. My wife and I have had other businesses. I, you know, I've owned bars and that, and I've always been, you know, ag- aggressive uh, that way. But no, I, I wouldn't change a thing. So you're in a bunker under fire. Hang on, not a sand trap. Yeah. No, not well, that kind of bunker. We're talking war, wartime. It's a bunker. You're under fire. Who would you want with you? Joakim Noah. Really? That's awesome. That's a great story. Or <laughs> a great answer. I mean, you mentioned him earlier. He sounds yeah. like a great guy. Yeah, well, you know, he'd, he'd probably have some weed. No, just kidding. <laughs> You're not kidding. <laughs> no. It's legal now. It's, it's sort of. And he's, uh, by state and, law. And he's no, taller, so no, he's going to he, get shot first. He was a warrior. <laughs> he is a warrior. He was a warrior, you know, and uh, no uh, slight to anybody else, um, you know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he just, he he's one of my all-time favorites. That's it's cool. Not the one. So you just bypassed the six Pete Bulls teams for Joakim Noah. You realize that, right? Yes. So you're uh, someday you're going to write a book. I I, th- I think you will, or have a podcast or something like that. But if you wrote a book, your autobiography, what do you think it would be titled? Don't stop. That's a great answer. Yeah. So one last one last chance. Our guest has been Joe O'Neill. Joe. Tell our listeners how they would um, get a hold of you for a speaking engagement or, again, the address of O'Neill's down on Wells. Well, by, uh, to check my speaking career, it's joeoneillspeaks.com. Uh, it's, a, you know, it's a something I'm having a lot of fun with, and I've had, I spoke to 400 employees of the Harley-Davidson group uh, not long ago, and I was voted the best speaker of the group i followed uh bill davidson of the davidson family kicked his ass Uh, (laughs) boom and uh and then if you want to go to o'neill's on wells the best bar in chicago it's 411 south wells and uh you can also come by the united center at 1901 west madison and buy a ticket sometime and if you you want to donate to the o'neill family foundation what's the best way to do that through your speaking website no the o'neill family foundation.org is uh the website for my uh my foundation well it's been a pleasure you've got a great story and i'm sure there's a lot more stories you could tell that we haven't heard tonight but uh thanks for being our guest yeah thanks for all you do yeah thanks thanks joe Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. We enjoyed it. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter.